0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We come to Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and again we're going to be talking about the topic of unity. When I was a child in Clark Elementary School in Cleveland, every Friday we would come together around the atrium and the entire school would be there and, and as the school was there, um, we would sing a song and the song was let there be peace on earth. And the song went something like this, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be with God as our father, Brothers, all are we, let me walk with my brother in perfect harmony. And I would sing the song loud and proud and off tune. Some things have never changed. And we would do that every week. And I'm not going to defend the song this morning or pick it apart. I think there's a sense in that song that certainly is true. Uh, Paul spoke to the men of Athens and said that, that we are the offspring of God. And there's a sense of the, of the brotherhood of mankind but we do know that there are only two families on the earth, one after God who who comes in the name of Jesus Christ by faith in him and in his blood, and the other that's not part of that family. But the sentiment of that song was so important back then and, and so needful because it was talking about peace and shalom and unity. And Growing up as a kid in Cleveland, it was not a unified city. So it was important to get this message out that that we must have unity, unity. And so this morning, as we just think about that topic of unity, it seems like it's heightened, especially in the culture that we live in today. As we think about being unified in whatever way or form, The fact of the matter is we understand that we are more divided and it's more divisive in our world today than ever. Can we take an example from politics? Is there any one of us that really believes that politics today is not partisan? That that it's not polarizing? That we live in a day when, when people are no longer talking to each other or even debating in a gentle, kind way ideas and opinions? but we're screaming over one another, that we've, we've drawn our lines. And what we've done then is we've labeled people in such a way that we, we've lost their humanity. It's no longer a human being, it's a liberal, a conservative, a Republican, a Democrat. And so we give names and so we lose the identity of people. We are not unified. And even in the midst of a pandemic, we cannot come together. And I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing, but there's a light that keeps on flashing on and off. And, um, but I'm not distracted by it whatsoever. whatsoever. Um, but in the midst of a pandemic, we, we have this same idea. Listen, there are, there are two thoughts on what's happening right now. I just read a post of a friend this morning who said, I don't know the truth of the coronavirus, And chances are, you don't either. And I don't think anyone has all the truth on this. And there are two groups, and I understand both of them. There's a group that says, stay home, stay safe, save lives. And and they really believe that doing what they've been told to do is working, and it's saving lives. And, And they are trying to love their neighbor as themselves because there are people in our community who are more susceptible to this. We are dealing with our own family. Uh, my mother-in-law with, with chemo, we, we understand that. And so there's a sense with some people who just say, listen, as long as this takes, we're gonna stay hunkered down in our homes. And I get it, and I can understand that. There's a flip side of that for some of you who are already mad at me because I made that statement, who are saying, wait a minute, enough is enough. We've done what they've said. We've flattened the curve. Why are we quarantining healthy people? We've got to move on. If we're talking about saving lives, maybe going back and working and getting a good frame of mind will save some lives. And and so there's two of those opinions. And again, we're shouting over one another. Um, we're, We're actually turning people in for being in Tim Horton's lines. Can can I tell you, I don't know why the guy's in line at Tim Horton's. Maybe they're frontline workers. Maybe she just got off a hospital shift or she's going into one. Maybe they're picking up a coffee for a shut-in who is really depressed and lonely. Or maybe the guy just wants a coffee, right? It could be he wants a coffee. And yet there is no unity there, there is no coming together. Um, we are shouting, we are yelling, we are screaming at one another. we're fracturing, we're attacking, right? And it's happening all over the place. And, and my real concern is for our community, and for the world. But I'm concerned that this attitude of disunity is affecting our churches. Be- because we have people who sit in our churches not today, but in their living rooms, who believe one or two of those things, or or, or numerous things. And yet, we have been living lives that are so fractured, and I'm talking to the church now, that that we are willing to have our politics, or our opinions, or, or, or whatever, supersede brothers and sisters in Christ, and God forbid that we as a church would be so disunified that we would be willing to take our opinions and our politics and raise them to the point where we're willing to crush a brother or sister in Christ over that, that we're going to die on that hill. Or God forbid that, that these things that cause disunity around the world that we would use and turn off believers to the church of Jesus Christ because they see that we're just like everyone else. Listen to me. In this world, there is no unity. There is none. But of all places where there ought to be a unified front, no matter who you are, where you come from, your politics or your opinions, it needs to be the church of Jesus Christ. We are called to unity. It should be this place, this body, these believers. Now, Paul tells us in Philippians, he had this thought in chapter 1 talking about being unified of one mind, right? unified, unwavering, and he's continuing the thought in chapter 2 and he says, believer, we are to be of one mind. Now listen to me. I'm not so naive to believe that there aren't differences. And there's not room for discussion, or even good debate, or stating the truth. Don't hear what I'm not saying. There is truth, and we should speak truth. We should speak it in love. We should see people for who they are. And the church should be a place where there is gentleness and sanity. And that unity is first and foremost. There is no way that we can be unified in everything. That's impossible. I pastor a Baptist church. If you have three Baptists in a room, you have five opinions. And I'm not exaggerating. And that is not a badge of honor for us. It's crazy. And so no one this morning is saying, hey, be of one mind. We do everything alike. We believe the same with politics and pandemics and our opinions. That's not the case. That's not even healthy. Some of you are old enough to remember um, Heaven's Gates. It was a cult back during the hale Bop, Comet era, about 1997. And all those people had one mind. They all had baggy clothes, buzz haircuts, and wore Nike tennis shoes. Uh, And that did not fare well for those people. We're not talking about that. When Paul says to have one mind, he's not saying that we can't have opinions, we can't have conversations, we can't speak truth. We ought to be speaking truth. To one another and to the world. I was just reading Baxter this last week, and he was talking about disagreements between brothers in Christ. And he said, Make sure that our words are more love than wrath, more curing and healing than just anger. And that's what we need. But Paul says, Be of one mind. He's not talking about everything, but he is talking about the essential things. The essential things. Alistair Bakes says this often. um, The main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And when Paul is speaking to the church about unity, what he's saying is he's not talking about their politics or their preferences or their opinions. He's talking about the main thing of standing and striving together for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, listen to me. The main thing for the believer is the plain thing And the plain thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's love to remedy fallen man. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that Jesus Christ came. He took on the form of a servant. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. And on the cross of Calvary, the wrath of God was poured on his head. The wrath that I deserved. The wrath that you deserved. He absorbed all of it. He bled, he died, he was buried, and rose again. And all those who call upon his name can be saved. And now, because of Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in dwells the believer, empowers the believer, transforms the believer. And in light of all of that, we as believers, knowing that that's the main thing, should devote our lives to his service to love him, to promote his kingdom, and to be unified as a body of Christ. And I submit to you this morning that when we are unified under this matrix, that every other area in life, in life whether it's our politics, our preferences, our personal ideas, will be put in the rightful place and we will be able to love one another in spite of our differences. And so unity is a big deal. It's a big deal. And Paul now is going to hammer that point home for us this morning. And so now I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about the politics of the world or the pandemic or our opinions. I'm talking now about the essential of the Church of Christ being unified. And Paul now is going to appeal to three things Three things. Here's the first thing he says. Look back at verse number one, if you would this morning. He said, if there be. Now, we can hear that and think, well, Paul's saying this might be a possibility. That's not what he means here. When he says, if there be, he is saying, since these things are true, or because these things are true. So, he has just talked about unity, and now he says, since these next four things are true, we must be unified. And what he's going to do here is say this, that we should be unified because we as believers share the same faith. Here's what he says. If there's any consolation or encouragement in Christ. So he's talked in the Philippians and he said, look I want you to be unified. So since I want you to be unified, here's what I'm appealing to A shared faith. Speaking to the church. Hey, church. Is there encouragement in Christ? And the answer to that is, and you can answer out loud in your living rooms, yes. We know as believers, we share this faith that reminds us that there is great encouragement in Christ. Many of you will know the old song, who can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious. Oh, how blessed to call him mine. Um, Oh, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is all to life to me. And as believers this morning, you and I understand, as we look back on our life, the encouragement that we have found through Christ. And so Paul says, all believers share this. There is not a believer who knows Christ who has not found the encouragement that Jesus brings. It's it's not in a cliche. It's in Jesus He brings encouragement. There is encouragement in Christ. And then he says, is there any comfort from love? And the answer to that is, yes, there is. And all believers share this. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Paul says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And he says, I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And every believer understands this morning that there is nothing, because of our shared faith, that can ever separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Past, present, future, not even ourselves. There's a third thing, he says. Is there any fellowship or participation in the Spirit? And as believers this morning, if there's one thing that you know, you are a believer because the Spirit of God indwells you. If he doesn't, you are none of his. And this sweet Spirit indwells every one of us. There is something about the Spirit of God telling us and convincing us that we're part of this family. That's what he does. It's the Spirit. Every morning when I preach in this church... We have four steps that lead up to the platform. And whether you know it or not, every time I I ascend those steps, I say four words. Spirit, you are real. Because I understand, as believers, that spirit dwells within every one of us. And he is the only one that can make sense of the word of God. He is the only one that convicts. He is the only one that speaks to hearts. As a matter of fact, he speaks and says things that I never say in a message, but he takes it and and he applies it to the heart. We all share that in the faith. It's the spirit of God. And then he says, is there any affection or mercy? And every saint who is in Christ would say, oh, there is mercy in Jesus. In Jesus. We, in our walk, Fall, we stumble, we get weary. Um, we feel guilt because of it. We know that he died for us, and yet sometimes our life doesn't match that up, and, and we begin to beat ourselves up, and, 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 and we know, Lord, I've walked away, i have sleeping, I've turned from this. And yet here's what our faithful Savior says, or does. Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed shall he not break. And a smoking flak or a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. Do you understand the mercy of Christ? That every believer shares this. That when we fall and when we stumble and when we feel as if, Oh God, I am broken. I'm waiting for you to crush me. I just have this this smoke. I'm smoldering right now. The fire is gone and I'm expecting your wrath. And, And Jesus says, No, 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 no. That's not what I do to my children. I will not break that bruised reed. I will not quench that little flicker of light. I love what Sibs says on this. He said, if Christ be so merciful as not to bruise me, I will not break myself by despair, nor yield myself over to the roaring lion, Satan, to break me in pieces. And what a great truth. Is there mercy in Christ? The answer is yes. Yes, there is. I love what Newton said when he talked about um, his sins. He said, well might the roaring lion, well might the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. And this is the mercy. And so Paul says, believer, in all of the fracturing of this life, in all of the disunity, We should come together and be unified. Why? Because we share this same faith. We all have this. And we all need to recognize that. He goes on. Verse number two. He says, If if these things are true, this shared faith, fulfill ye my joy. And so Paul says, not only do we have a shared faith, but there's a sense of family. For the believer in Christ. That word fulfill means to complete. And you need to know something. Paul's life was wrapped up in the church. He loved the church. A matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 4, he uses this phrase where he says, I travail in labor till Christ be formed in you. Now, what he's saying there is it's giving birth. Now, I'm a man. I have no concept of giving birth, and I thank God for it, right? But I am told by um, reliable sources that it is the most excruciating pain, if you break your femur, right, that's like on an eight, on a scale of one to 10, childbearing is worse than that. And God bless you ladies, because if it was up to men, uh, the human race would die. But women, they go through the birth. It's painful. And God bless you, dear ladies of big children as well. But anyways, moving on. Sorry, Kim. Uh, th- th- travailing. He's travailing because he has a sense of family. He wants Christ to be born in them. In, in 1 Thessalonians 3, he says that if we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. And I think sometimes we as believers, we forget that we are all part of one family. One family. And and you know this, if one member of the family is out of sorts, the whole family is not right. right? We, we have raised uh, four children and, and I remember in the early days one of our boys, I won't give his name, he was the oldest, but um, he was about four years old, and, and we had had just this, this terrible time in ministry, and, and we were looking for just one day. Greg had just been born, and so we were looking for one day just to go out. We were going to go to a diner in Birch Run and have cheeseburgers, and we thought, oh, this is so exciting. So we get there, and that firstborn of mine would have none of it. I mean, he was so terrible and so bad. He ruined our entire night, and I'm not bitter by it. Um, hopefully, I'm better by it but just his attitude. And in the church of Jesus Christ, I think we forget that we're family, and family does affect one another. It affects one another. There's a sense of family, and we should be unified because of it. Because of it. This is difficult, because I know we're not unified by blood, but we are unified by the blood of Christ. And what we ought to do is, we ought to see the preciousness of each soul that Jesus Christ died for and understand that we are all part of that family because we and them were precious in his eyes. Um, We have three granddaughters, um, a a fourth is on the way, all these girls, it's crazy. Um, We love them and we certainly miss our oldest one. Um, We've not seen her since Christmas and this is really difficult times, of course, for, for us and for everyone. Um, but there's something about family that can just overlook lots of things. So Kim has a favorite drink um, from Starbucks, and don't get on me about Starbucks, you Tim Hortons people, I couldn't care less, I'm talking about Unity, so let me have my own deal here. She has a favorite drink, and the drink is uh, a dragon drink made with coconut milk. And so there are times when I would go and get this drink for her, it's her favorite drink, and I will pick up a drink myself, I won't tell you what that drink is, um, but it's pink uh, and manly. And so, I'll get her a drink, and maybe I'll pick up uh, Ren to take home. We'll have Ren in the car, and I'll give Ren like a pretzel to keep her occupied. We'll get home, we'll get in the house, and Kim will be so excited about this drink, and, uh, and then Ren will see the drink. Just like when you raise kids, it's like ooh. And Ren will make this guttural kind of like reaching for this drink, Kim's favorite drink. And without hesitating, She'll pass the drink and the straw over to Ren. ren will take a big swig out of it and then she'll take it back and she'll take a swig and find a pretzel. And then, the, and then Ren just gets the whole drink, right? Because that's disgusting. But, but we don't mind because that child and all of those granddaughters are precious to us. It's family. And what Paul is saying is, look, I want you to fulfill my joy. We're in this thing together. We're a family. And that brother or sister sitting next to me regardless of their opinions or their politics or their ideas were precious enough for Christ to purchase. Therefore, we ought to love them and understand there's this sense of family and we're united. There's a third reason now. Paul says we ought to be unified and not just for a shared faith or a sense of family, but because of our Savior's footsteps. This is the greatest motivation and model that Paul could give us, not just for the Philippians, for us as well. And, and before I read that text, um, I want you to, to notice that there are, are theologians today who believe that this was actual, this portion of scripture was actually a hymn from the early church, verses five, six through 11, just like Colossians chapter one, that this is a, a hymn that the early church would sing together. They would come to worship and sing this hymn. And I also want you to notice as we, we read it in just a moment, um, what Paul says about Christ in this hymn, this hymn that was being sung, is incredible. And he says it in such a way that it's not a hot um, topic item or, or it's his opinion or he's making something up. He, he says it in such a way in the text that everybody knew that that's what the church believed. There was no surprises that this was the truth. We all shared this in common. Listen to what he says now in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross wherefore. God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you realize that in that statement, Paul is saying, and the early church was saying, They recognized the divinity of Christ, his pre-existence, his equality with the Father, his incarnation, his true humanity. They understood the voluntary death of the cross, the certainty of his ultimate triumph over evil, and the permanence of his ultimate reign. Understand, there are no evolutions in Christianity where, oh yeah, the church has evolved and they didn't believe this early on. That's not the case. The church did repeatedly attempt to clarify positions But this doctrine of who Christ was and is was always known and always believed, and Christianity is about Christ, the Christ of the Bible. And so Paul then says to the church, listen, remember what we sing, remember what we believe, remember this doctrine. It is all about Jesus Christ, who was in heaven glorified, but chose to humble himself, take on the form of a servant, and became obedient unto death. He gives this doctrine in order that it will lead us to Christian living. To prove the point that we ought to be unified. Why does he employ the person of Christ, the nature of Christ, the work of Christ? Because he knows that all of us are tempted in our own lives to become self-asserting, self self ambitious self-promoting, self-conceited, seeking our own interest above others. And listen, church... It happens in every facet of our lives. Husbands and wives do this. What's best for me and my interest? and if I don't get it, I'm going to pout. Moms and dads do this. Children do it. We all do it. And Paul says, this is a problem. That's why I'm pointing you to Jesus Christ. He wants us to look upon the things of others. He wants us to forget ourselves and to remember others. Why? Why? Well, yeah, we share faith together. Yes, there's a sense of family, but Paul wants us to follow the footsteps of our Savior because Christ, in fact, did forget about himself, thought about you, thought about me, and gave himself to the horrors of the cross, not for his benefit, but to redeem a people for you and for me. And this is just not some churchy appeal for oh, don't be selfish or be humble. Paul is speaking to the will and the, effect, the affections of the heart to say, look it, this is what Jesus has done. And so let this mind be in you, which was also in him. Look to Jesus. And church, I'm encouraging you and I'm encouraging myself this morning to look to Jesus Christ. All of Christianity can be summed up in that phrase. Look to Jesus, look to him with the privilege that we have because of the faith that we share. Look to him because of the people in our life, this sense of family, that we, we are together, what a blessing that is. And look to him in his person and work, what he's done on our behalf. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. The mind of the head must be the mind of its members. It must be, it must be, as the world is, full of disunity, it should not be the church. And so, we must be unified. Now, maybe you've heard that, oh, it's great, wonderful, okay, that's important, is important. I, I think you may have missed it. And so I'm gonna make one more point, just to hammer this home, how important it is that God's people, brothers and sisters in Christ, stay unified. Now listen, don't be scrolling, don't be texting, don't be liking it on Facebook. Listen now to the high priestly prayer of Christ in John chapter 17. And this is, again, a reminder, the prayer that Jesus prayed before he left for the cross. And he starts the prayer by saying, God, glorify me with the glory I had before you. And then he begins praying for his disciples, the 11 that are still there. And he, he prays for them. And then he starts now in verse number 20 of still praying. And I want you to hear now, hear what he says. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Okay. Listen to me. Jesus Christ said, I'm praying for these But not only these, Father, I am praying for those who will come after, who believe on their word. Who are those people? It's you. It's me. It's it's those. He is praying for us this morning, which is pretty important, I would say. Listen to what Jesus Christ prays for his church that they all may be one. One, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. I don't know that I can make this idea of unity any clearer than that. Jesus said, Father, I am praying for my people that they would be one. One. And, and here's the reason. So, above your politics, above your preferences, above your ideas, above your privileges, and even above your rights, Christian, we have no rights. We are slaves of Christ. Above all of those things, Jesus says, Be one. Be so focused on the mission and the gospel and the love of Christ that everything else pales in comparison. It doesn't matter. Be one. Why? Why should we be one? That the world may know that you sent me. Do you understand the magnitude of that prayer? The importance of unity in the church is so that as the world looks, think about this. Here is Lydia in Philippi. Here is a slave girl with tons of baggage. Here is a hardworking Gentile soldier sitting together in a church, loving on one another. Kim and I were just talking about this last week. I'm sure that Lydia made a dress for that slave girl. But these people couldn't be any more different. And yet, they're unified. And when the church is unified, the world looks in and scratches her head and says, wait a minute, this does not make sense. How can this be? I mean, you have liberals and conservatives. You have chocolate lovers and lemon lovers. You, You have the whole mix, red and yellow, black and white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, and yet, they have ideas and differences and opinions, but they're unified. There's one thing that takes the priority over everything. It is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the only thing that's eternal. And so, brother and sister in Christ, let this mind be in you. And get what he said. It's, it's our responsibility You let this mind be in you. Above your emotions, above your feelings, above your politics, above your preferences, above everything that you do, our mind should be, as Christ gave himself for me, I will gladly lay down my life for others. I will keep the main thing the main thing. And maybe then, Maybe then the world will take note of a church that is unified as a body of believers and Christ can truly be glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let there be peace in church and let it begin with me. By dying to self, by esteeming others better than myself, by killing the self-ambition, the self-pride, the self-interest, and glorifying the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, God, forgive us. We We have forgotten the great mission that you've given us, that as the Son is one with the Father, we are to be one with you. And if we're one with you, we can't help but being one with one another. Lord, this task is impossible except for the fact that the Spirit of Christ lives within us. And so I pray for your body this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd convict us, you would help us to repent, that we would see the main thing, that maybe we'd make things right with brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we may have a unified front, knowing that we share this blessed faith together. We all share this that there's a sense of family because the Spirit of God has translated us into this family and that we are to follow the footsteps of our Savior. Oh, God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.